you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to Learners Podcast number 878. Oh, that has a nice numerical palindromic quality to it. This episode brought to you by Squarespace. Uh, whether it's a portfolio to showcase your work, if you want to make a store to sell products and services or or a blog just to share your ideas because social media is it's just too finite in terms of what you can express. Then Squarespace is what you need. They're going to give you all the stuff, all the tools to make your next move in, into a reality. Also, great templates, customizable features. It's not going to look like a cookie-cutter blog uh, like in the old days where you would just sort of do like a Microsoft front page 99 <laughs> Or whatever it was. And you just built, oh, I'll just put this here and put this here. And every website looked the same. You can customize the crap out of your Squarespace uh, site. And they'll help you. If you need support, they've got support for you. You just add or arrange your content with a click of a mouse. And if you need help, just uh, shoot, just let them know. And they will they will get you right back on track. Start your free trial today. Squarespace.com. Enter the offer code NERDIST to get 10% off your first purchase. Um, uh, I want to say that in... Uh, I guess a little over a week from the time this is coming out, June 24, 25, in Mountain View, California, uh, in Silicon Valley, which is very appropriate uh, because of the guests on the podcast today, uh, ID10T Festival. We have so much amazing stuff all in one day. You could go for 12 hours and, and just have a full experience. You can get a Comic-Con. The exhibitor booths are going to be amazing. Uh, uh, you know, like Skybound will be there. Um, a bunch of uh, comic book artists. A bunch of people displaying their nerdly wares. We also have panels. We have uh, just announced uh, we have a Futurama panel. Ooh. There's an Animaniacs panel. Animaniacs? Uh, Animaniacs. Oh, that's awesome. Man, um, uh, The Magicians. Harmontown, Mystery Science Theater 3000, a Nerdist podcast, uh, then the comedy stage, Garfunkel and Oates, Michael Che, Dimitri Martin, uh, me, uh, April Richardson, a bunch of people that you know, bands, Weezer, OK Go, Car Seat Headrest. I mean, it's the whole weekend is going to be hopefully incredible and all day long. Just come for the panels, come for the cons, stay for the comedy, stay for the music, and uh, enjoy. Go to ID10TFest.com. I hope this works, Katie, because I'm excited <laughs> about it. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to be like, shit, I was wrong. People don't want all these things together. But I hope they do. I think they will. I think they'll love it. So what's on the Nerdist Community Corkboard? We got a couple cool things. Uh, the McGuire Harley Davidson uh, dealership, it's in Pacheco, California. It's kind of near Concord in the East Bay. Okay. They are doing a mobile adoption with the Contra Costa Animal Shelter. And it's on June 17th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. They're going to have a whole bunch of dogs and and cats there, and they're going to have free hot dogs, chips, refreshments, uh, and 
if you if you adopt the pet of your dreams, you'll get a free Harley Davidson T-shirt, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, the adoption start at twenty five dollars. So check that out at McGuire Harley Davidson. And also speaking of adoptions, uh, all the LA animal shelters are pretty full right now. So if you are looking to adopt, maybe you should check those out. Or if you want to foster, they're always looking for fosters. They and there's there's a lot of dogs, especially at like North Central Animal Shelter, who have been there for over a year. So if you're looking to adopt and you live in LA, definitely check out the Animal City shelters because they have a lot of really great animals. Excellent. Thank you. Or a shelter in your own city. Or yeah, just adopt. Just adopt. This is all about animals today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this episode is uh, Emily Gordon and Kumail Nanjani from the Indoor Kids podcast. Oh my gosh. And now... I miss that podcast. I guess Kumail's also on a show called Silicon Valley and I guess Emily <laughs> and Kumail have written and produced a movie uh, called The Big Sick which, by the way, I saw last night and it's fucking amazing. And it, it, Like, I love... I love watching my friends blossom into these incredible... It's like, oh, yeah, everyone's figuring out how amazing you are. It's really (laughs) fun. It's really fun for me. And also so interesting to see their, you know, like a... It's a fiction. It's a slightly fictionalized version, but it's a slice of what their lives were like yeah. when they first got to know each other and what they went through. And uh, it's just a beautiful story. Even if you don't know Emily and Kumail, it's a beautiful story. But uh, I'm so excited and so proud for them. And uh, it was an honor to have them on talking about this and a bunch of other stuff. We talked about video games, talked about E3, but we talked about the, you know, just the movie and and, and it was just, it's a podcast. You know what we talk about on these <laughs> podcasts. The Big Sick is in theaters in New York and L.A. June 23rd, and then in select cities June 30th. Please go see it. Please support this movie um it i honestly i don't think it's too crazy that emily and kamel could put on black ties well maybe not emily unless she wants to wear a black tie but i just mean get all dressed up fancy and go to the uh to the oscars i would love that i hope that happens i think it could too i mean he gets to go to the emmys for silicon and they get to go for, I think it could uh, happen. Sick, so go support this movie. So hopefully that can happen. Uh, this episode also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Uh, that you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just a click, and then their technology is going to efficiently match the right people to your job better than anyone else. And and that's kind of why they're different because under uh, unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you; it finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. So don't worry about, ah, oh, we posted something on social media. Now we got to sift through all these emails. We got to, you got to answer all these calls and then set up all these things. Just screen rate, manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy to use dashboard. So find out why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, as Nerds Podcast listener, post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. Free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Nerdist. Uh, one more time, free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Nerdist. Here's Nerds Podcast number 878 with Kamail and Emily. Katie! Now entering Nerdist.com. It's so strange to. This isn't. It's like official, but it's not official. 
<laughs> and it's funny because I actually got to see the movie last night. Oh, you saw oh, it? I did saw see it. it last night. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, because when you were on the show Monday, I go, I got to get a link. And they sent me one. I watched great. it last night. And it was amazing. Aww. And incredible. And you're great in it. Not that I'm surprised by that, but Isn't like. he's so good? He hates when I talk about this. He's so good in it. But even the, even, even, even the punchline moment. You know, yeah. Which I don't. I, I'm going to speak in broad terms, I so see. I don't spoil anything. Yeah. For people who haven't seen the movie yet, but uh, I was like, "Fuck! What if this movie like gets nominated or something? like, what if this? <laughs> it's not impossible. It's not impossible. <laughs> I'm going to leave." But now. then I also felt like, I also felt like part of it just because. I mean, you guys are like family to me, and it, so it, it like watching it. There were some parts where I was like, I don't know. I feel like I'm not supposed to know this. Like I <laughs> right. feel like this is private. I feel well, like I'm not supposed to know this. Well, I'll tell you what's been a weird side effect of this. I mean, we've, <clears throat> like we said, we're very happy to do this. Truly, this is the thing that we were like, all right, that'll be fun, and then everything else. Yeah. What's weird is so yesterday we did our junket day, Ugh. and which is like you do like 40 interviews, and everyone comes and talks to you for seven minutes. Um, it's so strange to have strangers ask you really personal questions because yeah. mm-hmm. they've just seen the movie. And I'm happy to talk about personal stuff. I mean, I'm pretty open, but with I'm these... I'm less so. <laughs> <laughs> but, but when you have like these five, yeah. like literally it's five minutes and they really like, the, and they try and get in there. They're trying... They want to get in and like really have like a, a deep conversation with you in a very short period of time. And some of them will come in and hug me like, because they're like, how's your health? And it's like... I don't know. I, I mean, why are you, what are you, I, what's your name again? Uh, and it's a really lovely, I'm trying to focus on the good aspects of it, but it is a really weird thing to have. I'm pretty stoic and kind of not super, uh, pretty stoic about health stuff specifically and having everybody kind of know that has been weird for me. For it sure. is overall very, very good. The most positive. These are great problems. Yeah, yeah. I know, but you're, but you're going to, you could end up being like a spokesperson for something. Well, I am in a Facebook group uh, for She's the... She's in a Facebook group. I'm in a Facebook group. It's, uh, okay. it's closed. You okay. can't get in it. Uh, for people that have the condition I have and they found out about the movie and were like posting about it and I was like, it's me, guys, it's me. <laughs> I'm here. And they were like, okay, cool. Uh, no, they're excited. <laughs> they're I, pretty excited. I see they them were. tweet about it. I see them talking about it before they knew it was you. Yeah. I saw them talking about it and they were all excited because it's such a specific, strange, rare thing. But it really, like whoever has it, it really is a big part of your life. Yeah. And everybody, because it's so rare, everybody who gets diagnosed with it has some sort of version of Emily's story. It takes people generally about 10 years to get diagnosed with it. Oh my God. Yeah. But a, a lot of them haven't had, they have it more severely now, whereas I had it more severely before I was diagnosed and then now I'm like just kind of maintaining it. Uh, but it is, I, I do, I think they feel like they're like being represented finally. And I'm like, yeah, finally a movie that speaks to the weirdly sick. <laughs> but you know what like, you needed? You needed Gregory House. <laughs> just... yeah, this, my condition was on an episode of House. Was uh, it? It was, it was dismissed. It was not the it right was, diagnosis. It was but not it, lupus. It was not lupus. No, yeah. but I think it was. It, I think everyone thought he was wrong, but then wasn't he right? I, you know what? We've never seen the episode. I just read a description. So yeah. <laughs> it's hard to know. It was also in an episode of a show called uh, Mystery, Medical Mysteries. No, Mystery Diagnosis. Yeah. Mystery oh, yes. Diagnosis. And the episode is called Frenetic Genetics. What? Oh. <laughs> Oh, that rhymes, Marge, and you know that rhymes. We all love it. <laughs> uh, but it was a it was a beautiful movie, and and so interesting, just to see. I don't know. It's really fun to see. Like, oh my god, there's Kurt. There. Oh my god, there's Bo. Oh my yeah. god, that's eighty. Like, it just seeing everyone hang out. But also, it was just fun for me knowing you to be like, oh, this is kind of a slice of their lives before I met them. It's almost like seeing 
your parents in a home movie before, <laughs> you oh, know. Oh, that's a lovely thought. It is. It's like, oh my God, they, you know. When they, they were young yeah. and beautiful. But I even just knowing your stand-up I was, I, and watching you uh, sort of hobble your stand-up because it was earlier in your career and so you had to be. It was the worst fucking thing. <laughs> he hated it, was, it so much. By far the toughest part. He kept telling the audience that was there that did, was like, I, I'm, do, I'm, I'm on purpose going to be not as good. Everything's going to be fine. Just react I how really, you normally react. It was really tough because we, what we did was we set up a show at Bell House for me to sort of do a ton of material so that Mike could sort of, the director, could pick like what he wanted in the movie. So I performed the set and it was great and I killed and and then he was like, you know, none of that can be in the movie. You can't be like that on stage. You can't be confident, man. Yeah, yeah, you can't be confident. So I had to. I used to. For me, the big thing was, and I, you in the movie, the only time I pull the microphone out of the stand is in the last scene when I'm this, doing stand-up. This is some ro- deep nerd comedy stuff. Yeah. For sure. yeah. It's the only time I remove the microphone from the stand. And the, all the other sets, I have the microphone in the stand, which is how I was. Right. And I think for comedians that... A lot of comedians, that's like a step because, you know, the, the stand is like in the way. It protects you from the audience. It anchors you. Yeah. And then removing it, I think, opens you up more. It, it is. And I, I can do both. I prefer to take it out. But it, there's definitely it forces you into a rigid presentational yeah. mode when you are standing at the thing and you are you you are giving into that more than taking control of it and i think it's that that's it's like that's the dress the wearing step. you rather than you wearing the dress a little bit kind of yeah, yeah. exactly because exactly. I, I do think that's the thing that and this sounds like a high thought but when i like we had a show last <laughs> night but like the stage is so big and like comedians traditionally just use a very small part of it it's like but there's so much stage what are you supposed to do with all this stage this is why i'm not a stand-up because that's all i would think about like oh i should probably be using the space right there, oh well <laughs> uh, at Clusterfest uh, last weekend, the stage that we were performing on the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium is you could fit like a hundred piece orchestra <laughs> on it. And then the you the comic, you just occupied like a percent yeah. of the stage. And then behind just this cavernous a cavern, yeah. this whole this whole cavernous space in the back. And I, I <laughs> tigged in like 10 minutes at the end of her set where she pretended to introduce the Indigo Girls. Uh-huh. And then they, she'd walk off stage and they wouldn't come out and she'd go back out and be like, how many people really think the Indigo Girls were here? <laughs> well, you're right. Here they are. Like, it was the funniest fucking thing. But one of the only people that I saw that was able to, like, utilize yeah. the entire and space. And how did she manage to make not introducing the Indigo Girls so funny? That's the magic how? of Tig. It's That's amazing. the magic of her. <laughs> uh, but, you know, this movie is really, like, because I remember when I, I think, maybe jo- when Jonah, did you screen it at South By? Is that where you guys Yeah. It? This year, yeah. Yeah, and I heard amazing things about it, like, you know. You know, like people will tell you offhand, like, "Well, I saw it," but everyone was like, "It's really fucking good." Ooh. And and now, uh, now it's. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna take you in a a direction that you know. Hopefully, you're emotionally prepared for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we hope we are too. <laughs> it's it's it is interesting because it is like so much work promoting it and stuff that we haven't really. We someone yesterday was like, "Are you enjoying it?" It's like I don't think we have time to enjoy yeah. it because. Because part of your job when you when you make a movie is to go sell it, but the skill of making a movie and the skill of selling a movie are so different. And because I'm a comedian, it's a little easier because I sort of know that aspect of it a little bit. But they're completely different skill sets, and they take different parts of your brain, and, and they're not satisfying in the same way. Yeah. So it just feels like so strange to make something really personal 
And then you'd go out and like kind of like yeah. dance around about on the, it. On the, on the red carpet for the premiere, at every question was, why do you think your story is so important that it needed to be a movie? And we're like, well, but no, no, I, did, I, I wasn't. All stories are important. <laughs> yeah, we were Tell like. Tell your story. We're like, when you put it that way, it sounds like we're, you know, very egotistical. Like, oh, this is so interesting. You guys, wait till you hear it. But is it any less, you know, it's like, how many horror movies do I watch where I go, did the story about the Ouija board in the closet really need to be told? And it's like, <laughs> because it's a movie and because movies are made of stories yeah. You have a story, and yeah. it's a very yeah. specific human story, and you know it. And I, what a, I don't know. I, maybe it's not as contentious as it sounded, but it, that is in, a very in my ears. It sounds very yeah, like, well, who I, do you think you the fuck are? Do you think, <laughs> yeah. Are you, Who's the shit? I don't think I, I that's don't, how people are intending it. I don't think they intended to be contentious. That would happen to us because we would sit next to you and do these interviews, and I saw like what her triggers were and I think you saw what my <laughs> triggers were like someone would say something that would seem fairly innocuous yeah, yeah. and then Emily would sort of have like this I would reaction up a little. and I was like I don't think this person means it the way you but then <laughs> we have that to do it's uh, yeah, the, the thing that happens is you sort of like go into the mode where like she starts telling a story I know, I know exactly when to jump in and tag it and all that uh, you're but, like the Sklar brothers of married couples <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which that's, one's Randy and which one's Jason? That's, Wait, maybe the Sklar Brothers are the Sklar Brothers of married couples. They really that might are. be true. They're that kinda, might be yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They might <laughs> be actually. I'm sorry. I take that back. But it's really good. Like, my favorite part is I like watching the movie with an audience. And then mm-hmm. I like doing the Q&A right after that because people are in that sort of emotional space. Mm-hmm. And they want to the, – the, generally, the stuff they want to talk about is pretty specific because I feel like – I feel like people have different. Whenever anybody watches a movie, you know, nobody people are has, connecting to different parts of it. For yeah, sure. people connect mm. to different parts of it. So people will like want to have a conversation about different things. It was cool yesterday. There was a guy who was like a Pakistani guy, and he had a white girlfriend, and he was talking about how it was the first time he'd seen that. That was really cool. And then Emily will have people show have them their surgery scars. I, scar, I get the scar people. <laughs> well, you know, I, and I'm, I'm 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 sure this is intentional, but the thing that you guys have in common in this movie is that you both have a type of infection that you have to remove and yours is oh. physical and yours is the emotional relationship with your family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? Chris, Emily. What? Well, that should have been our tagline. We should be incorporating that into our marketing. That is great. <laughs> well, it does right. seem to be like, you know, y- y- you're in a, an actual coma and he's in a family coma. That's oh, right. Damn it, Chris, I, I, I gotta go. I had to make a phone call to Amazon. It's true. We're both stuck in limbo. We yeah. didn't talk about that. Yeah, like yeah. Emily's clearly stuck in like a biological limbo, where, whereas I am stuck in sort of a emotional familial limbo, yeah. emotional limbo. Where I'm, and that's how I felt back in Chicago right before I met Emily. You know, the plan was I'd go to Chicago, do stand up for two years, move to New York. Ended up staying there for six years. Was sort of doing the same shows. Was a comedian, but not really making any money, not really getting... You were kind of burning it at both ends because you had a full-time job and then you would do shows and like you were doing the cool shows in Chicago and those are great, but it's like, I think you can kind of get stuck in a loop of like, oh, I got to get this, these cool shows in whatever city you're living in. And then you, you just keep doing those shows and it's like hard to kind of move. Well, it's hard because if you, because you really have to, I think it depends on what you want, you know, and if you just want... And if you want that, if you just want to be gratified night after night, yeah. but it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like playing the same level over and over and over in, exactly. a, in a game. And like, well, how many times can I play this level? Like, when do I get to, I, I got to fight a boss. I got to get to the next level. I got to grow, you know. It's, it's true. totally. And yeah. I think it's very easy to lose like intentionality in your life. It's very easy to just sort of do the same thing and get into 
a rut and just sort of have that be your life, be in a groove. And, and that's how I was when, when we first met. So that's what we wanted to do in the movie is that this guy who's just sort of doesn't know what to do and he's kind of like spinning around doing spinning nothing. his wheels and kind of spinning like but, keeping a lot of plates in but the this air. guy has your name yeah this guy <laughs> is also but now. your last name is different in the movie yes, it, is. it was a huge mistake i should have changed on your my part last yeah <laughs> i did not think about it i did not think it through because emily emily would be like we should change your last name i'm like emily there's so much to do we have to write the movie i have to learn the lines it's so much and then when we were shooting the first we started, we did all the hospital stuff first. That's what was up first, which is challenging in its own way. So I got there and they put the name tag on me and it said Kumel Nanjiani. And I was like, fuck. Oh, that was shit. a very common refrain for us that I would be like, well, we should probably be like, this detail is kind of a thing we should probably like think about. And he'd go, we've got so many other things to do. And I'm like, well, that's true. But also this thing also needs to be done. So maybe. So I was like, I'm just going to change my name. You do what you want. <laughs> Have a good time. Well, because when I saw you on Monday at, at midnight, mm. I go, well, how's it? Has your family seen? I didn't really understand. Yes. And then, because I hadn't seen it yet, and you go, well, I told, I told my brother to watch it with my mom and keep an eye on her. Yeah. And my dad liked it, and my mom was, didn't love it. I think my mom is processing. She's processing. She's still processing. Mm. I think my dad loved it, and my, my, my brother said he was crying and stuff. I think, you know what it is? I think it's tough. Because we see our own lives on the screen, but we wrote it, and it's our movie, and it's still weird seeing our own lives on the screen. For my parents, who had nothing to do with the making of this movie, to suddenly see their lives on screen, it's a sort of a jarring thing. So I think it, and I think your parents had sort of a similar yeah. reaction. My parents were more upset that they had pitched many stories uh, that should be in the movie, and none of them made it. <laughs> Yeah, but your mom got to be played by Holly Hunter. I mean, so can you have anything that, better? And than Ray that Romano happened. was great Wasn't he too. Great? Yeah, he, he was spectacular. Really, really good. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's... and they were very excited about all of that. But they they kept me like I was like, tell me stories because I was like when we were writing it, I was like, tell me anything you remember. And they were telling me all these stories, but it would be like stuff like we had to do your laundry, and that was hard. It's hard <laughs> to find a place to do laundry, and I would be like, okay, writing that down. Was Let's all see. of it true? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. The thing that. Uh, Ray, Terry, tell. no, gosh, no. no. Okay, one, gotcha, 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 gotcha. There's one gotcha, big thing gotcha. that uh, is absolutely. I was like, not wow, she's it's just no. laying it all no. out there. And I have mentioned in many interviews that absolutely would never happen uh, because I told my parents I would. Uh, By the that, way, yeah. very, very well brought up without spoiling. Very yes, well brought yes, up. yes, yes. I'm yeah. doing, I'm doing my best. There is yeah. some stuff that's happening between uh, Emily's parents in the movie that my parents have not experienced for sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and it helps that you know Ray is so different from Emily's dad. Emily's dad. Is Southern and Ray is like yeah. a new, is he's a, Ray, yeah, he's Ray. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> but is it you know it is your movie, and so in the sense that your parents, I mean, <clears throat> to an outside perspective, they seem very rigid in terms of like, well, this is what they your your dad, your father in the movie definitely seems more like he's on the fence, like he kind of. He wants it. Everything he wants everyone to be happy, but he's his really his main goal is to keep make make sure your mom's happy. Right, right. I think what we wanted to show was, it's you know, first of all, you want to show that it's a loving family with like a real relationship, and there's a lot of fun there and love, and they make fun of each other, and it's all good. But we also wanted to show it is also hard for them. They're they're from a culture, and they're in a place where that culture isn't valued. So they really have to work to hold on to 
who they are. And part of holding on to who they are is, hold, is them holding on to who they think I am. So we wanted to show that it's like, it's, it's messy, it's complicated, you know? Like, I, I fully, I was telling someone this, writing lines for my parents to say to me in the movie was the first time I sort of understood their perspective. Oh, wow. It. It's a very yeah. good exercise, I think, in any, like, therapeutically. Write a movie with your parents? It's a really, really good exercise. Write a movie like, with your parents. Try, like, well, just, and I mean, that's the thing in couples therapy is that you have the couple, like, exchange roles. Like, no, you argue, like, what would he say in this, it, when you're having this argument, what would he say? And really be convincing, and you have the, you know, the other partner do the same thing. And it's like, that's the first time you have to sit with the other person's perspective of, like, Whatever it is. And I think it's a really good exercise to kind of get empathy. (laughs) Years and years and years ago in a different relationship, I did something like that. And the goal was to do the other person but the rule was like no voices oh god no you so can't you, do the voices <laughs> so important to not do the voices you can't do what would she say <laughs> well you can be like I don't know what's happening to me and then you're like hey, buh, 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 buh. why don't you just listen to me yeah, yeah, exactly. you're a stand up so you're like doing going into different stances and stuff <laughs> you can definitely I, I honestly and it occurred to me you can tell exactly how you feel about a person by the way that you portray them <laughs> so like when you're when you're imitating someone to someone else you can tell if you respect them That's or not true. By Although, the way that you go, oh, so Kamel was like, I don't even know what you're doing. Yeah. Like, wow. I, oh, but geez. I will say, I think I do when I'm doing like an impression of you. I'm usually doing, I first off, I of don't me? I do not do an accent. But when I'm doing like, my husband's like, meh, 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 I do a very exaggerated like uh, last man standing kind of like sure. Kevin James's kind of, cause, which oh, is like nothing I'm like, like a you. dude? I do that instead, cause I, which, does not, you, which you... does not reflect how I feel about you. But I also think I can't, I don't really want to do an impression of you. That's weird. Yeah, why are you even trying? Well, you know, you Just talk. No hang, voices. You're hanging with said. your girlfriends, you know. You're hanging. <laughs> you're hanging do, do an impression. Do my set to me while we're making love. <laughs> what? Why would I? Yeah, that feels weird. <laughs> applause break. Yeah, is an applause break. That's yeah. what that's what you call an oh, orgasm. I see the light. Okay, I'm just gonna finish uh, up with this yeah. one thing. Yeah, I'm gonna leave you with what this. Going I'm on? gonna leave you with this. <laughs> I'll leave you with this. Bam. <laughs> so gross. You've been great. Oh god. You've been great. <laughs> and then how was that? How was that? How, was how did that? you? Okay. Was, did I do well? Did yeah, that did I, I feel like did I, I went a little over, did but you know, like, I don't know. Uh, I was, I you just, definitely was went it. over. It took a little while for the crowd to get into it, but then I think. <laughs> I think there was a light heckling, you know, a little bit of heckling. <laughs> so <there>. gross. <laughs> but I imagine, you know, I think it's also, uh, 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 I mean, how are your parents, where do your parents live now? Do they, are they in they're Chicago? In New, they're in New Jersey. They're in New Jersey. Yeah. And how are they doing with the current state of the world? Um, I think it's very difficult for them. I think for my mom, all the explicit, all the stuff that sort of come up to the surface that people now feel okay saying, uh, I think it's sort of like really messed with her because she's, they've been here about 12 years and, you know, uh, their lives in Pakistan were pretty good, but Pakistan's a very different place. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lot of corruption. It's difficult. There's a lot of like crime and violence and stuff. So they came here and my mom like loved it. She was like, everything's so easy. The electricity never goes out. The stores always have what you want. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's nice. You don't have to bribe someone to get a driver's license and everybody's like nice and accepting and it's a lot more open-minded than a lot of other places, you know? And so so she was like, oh, I've made it. This is my life. This is where I am. This is what America is. And then in the last year to see it curdle, I think it's really like kind of turned her world upside down. And I think it's turned a lot of people's worlds upside down. Like um, some of the 
anti-Islam stuff that's really pretty explicit. She just... She it sort of had her reeling for a long time, and I think now she's she's still. Yeah, I think it's still. I think it's still troubling to her, but I will also say, she because she and I text about it a lot. Uh, I think that I think that was like a just like everybody a big concern at first, and then I think she started seeing people come out of the woodwork to kind of be supportive and lovely, and I think that's meant a lot to her too. So it's like you kind of just have to redefine where you're. Uh, how you think about this place that you've moved to. Um, but I think there are, like, I think she's kind of adjusting, and I, it's weird that I'm, like, we were, like, speaking for her in general, but I think she's kind of adjusting a little bit. I think so, mm-hmm. and I think, I feel like, it, for a little while, it felt to me like it was a huge chunk of people, like it was yes. not a majority, but close. But now I really think it's not. I, right. I think it is a small percentage. What is really gross is that that was what was getting press at the time and that people love a story no matter what it is, even though that's not the kind of stories we really want to raise up. It felt much bigger, I think, than it was for a little I, while. I think that stuff about... I was just thinking about this the other day. Like, LA Times did a story on, like, dapper white nationalists. I think that shit did so much damage. It made it seem like these people were part of the conversation and that was, oh, it's just another way of thinking. And the, the newspaper wasn't like, these guys are right. But seeing like a white supremacist in a suit and them being like, look at his haircut and his suit, it just really normalized a lot of stuff. And some of the people that are like experts on these news shows are fucking kooks. They're like bad conspiracy theory people and they're just in the conversation now well yeah i mean this is <clears throat> the age where uh you know people like alex jones have oh my god where people are giving it i mean i don't even like talking we, yeah it, right it, would, it was coming up on at midnight and then at a certain point i think we were like maybe we should just not yeah. fuel this <clears throat> anymore and just kind of let it but the, but the but you get a very specific heckle in the movie when her parents come to see you yeah where a guy goes go back to isis yeah and it's and at at first it's it's a, you know it's like okay well this is a heck but under the surface of it like uh that's actually a really good statement about what's happening yeah. in our culture especially because of the type of dude that it was yeah. in the movie it's just like a total like frat guy you're like yeah that is 100% legitimately that type of dude that's exactly what that guy would say yeah, and in that in that moment, and it's just very thoughtless. It's not like oh yeah, there's no like even active like I'm gonna mess this guy up. It's like oh, oh, this is yeah. a thing I think might be kind of funny and crazy to say. And you know, it's weird. Like when I was first doing stand up, I have had stuff like that yelled at me, not a lot, but but a few times, and that's what that scene sort of comes <clears> from. <throat> but the difference was when I would get heckled back then, when we shot the movie. When he heckles me, the understanding is, oh, this guy's an asshole and everybody hates him. Now, when that, that scene plays so it differently, plays differently now, now than, it did. than it used to yeah. before, before, uh, you know, before last year. But I think there's something that <clears throat> I think this movie will tap into something that maybe you didn't expect, which I think will have a similar effect that Jordan Peele's movie had, which is. There were things swirling around in his heart and his mind for a long time that maybe he didn't even necessarily it wasn't so much even on a conscious level, but it it was in there, and so all these things came out in the movie and it and it happens to be a lot of things that people are experiencing right now, and so it was a very authentic, true, real statement about about something that's going on, and I think you will find the same thing it's just 
like just kind of expressing just you living your life and pieces of your life in this way, I think other people are going to go, holy shit, yeah, that's exactly, wow. that is so much more poignant than I think maybe even you had intended it to be, especially with what's going on right well, now. To be mentioned in the same sentence was Jordan's movie is like, that's amazing. It's such a great <laughs> that's movie. That's such an amazing, and, and you're right that it was, I, got, I, I saw that movie alone in a theater with like a very like crowd of all kinds of people and to hear people like, gaining empathy throughout through a movie was like such a really amazing experience and something I would not experienced in a theater ever I don't think ever in my entire life that movie works on every level like it's it's funny it's super scary it works as a horror movie works as a thriller and then it works as like the the social commentary that you're talking about all at the same time. It works on the sunken place level. Works it works on the other sunken, level. <laughs> sunken place. I mean, all the microaggression stuff was so well done. It's yeah. such a... That movie was really great. And I also... I was thinking about this. I think... Emily's heard this theory, man. I feel like people want to like have, watch stuff that sort of engages them. Like, and I think that's why like Wonder Woman did well. One is because it's really good. But also because it like represents something, I right. think. People want... People want to... I think be engaged. I think so. Did you see Wonder Woman? I haven't seen it yet because it came out the weekend that oh, I was yeah. performing at the festival, right. and then I haven't had a day off in ages. Yeah, uh, but I'm about to get time off, and I'm going to see the shit out of it because it looks. You know, it was. I think I would. I don't know. I don't know if I said this on the podcast or not, but just the sort of. I do have a bit of fatigue of like the let's beat the shit out of each other bro movies where we knock all the buildings down. Yeah, it's just like ugh. I have a little bit of fatigue from that. So. I was very excited. I've been excited to see this movie, and I'm glad that it's been doing so well. But I think, you know, I think what's what's so important about what about this movie, about Get Out, about you know, even Wonder Woman, is that we are losing the ability, I think, to have conversations in our culture because because everything happens through social media, and social media is not designed to have conversations. Not at it's all. designed to basically it's 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 conversational in the way that shouting at cars and traffic is conversational. <laughs> And, and so it, it, it doesn't – there's no, like, attempt of understanding. And, there's no, and so I think it's important for art to force those conversations, to have those – to have the conversations visually so that people can go, oh, wow, you know, because people aren't – I don't think people are necessarily talking to each other about what's important. They're just going, fuck you. You're my ultimate enemy. Fuck you. You're my ultimate enemy because we don't all agree on everything. Yeah. Fuck you, all caps, and then the worst things you can think There's of. There's no nuance. There's it's, no nuance. It's all completely... This happened with Emily. I won't get into specifics, but somebody said something to Emily, and Emily was like, I'm going to talk to you. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I just started... Do you remember what it was? Do you want to say I, what I, it was? It was basically... There was like a, a very big kind of myth that right. was going around that I was just like, genuinely, do you believe that? Honestly. Honestly... Between you and me, he had like a dog in his profile photo. I was like, you have a really cute dog. I can tell you really love your dog. Do you actually believe that in your heart? And he was like, well, you know, it's probably not true. You're probably right. It's probably not true. You're right. All these other things may be true. Maybe that one's not true. And I was like, Emily was like, I won. I was like, well, I not, not won, I won. But, I, I'm not but, trying to win. I was just like, I just want to I got through to like, someone. Yeah, like we're, we just had a conversation. I was like respectful listening to what he had to say. I was like, but honestly, is that when you think like when you in your heart, do you really think that that could be true? He's like, I guess not. And I was like, huh, what a lovely thing. And then I was like, I went back later and I was like, I'm just curious what he's doing now. So I went to that guy's thing and he was arguing the exact same thing that we had like talked about to other people. Well, nothing had changed. Yeah. Nothing. You know, a lot of it is, I don't know how real it is though. Yeah. I don't know how real a lot of these conversations are because I think 
I think some of it is just people trying to get attention. I think some of it is people using it as like a steam valve for their own aggressions that they can't deal with their own insecurities and frustrations in their own life. Huge part of it. And I think some of it is also tribalism is like, Oh, us and them. And so they kind of pick who their us and them is because they want to belong to something, even if that's a bad thing. You want to find meaning and you want to belong to a group because it always feels better to be a part of a group. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it's just, it's creating so much (laughs) like the groups are a little, I, and I think it's great that you approach it that way, but I, I, you know I, there are things that I see and I go, does someone really believe that? Yeah, you know. And then, but then you also don't know what the state of mind of that person is. You're assuming that they're completely normal, don't have any sort of borderline personality issues, sure. are you know healthy if they need to be on medication or on medication. Like we don't. There's so much that I think we just take for granted when we give people that power over us. That's right. You know, where you go, well, this person, you don't know what their state of mind is, you know, like they could be. Yeah. I think about that a lot with social media and mental illness because it is something, and I'm not a practicing therapist at all anymore, but it's, there's a lot we need to like catch up on and like do research on. Because if you think about the, the trope, and this is in all directions, the trope is that the person watching, if a person who is mentally ill watches the news, they think that the like the journalists on TV are talking directly to them. That's mm-hmm. like a thing that happens in mental illness. What on earth are mentally ill people thinking now when they're on social media? Because people are talking to them. Well, not only that, but you can also <laughs> construct any reality 100% that true. you want because you can surround yourself with the information that you want to see. And you can literally, the idea, I think what's going to be interesting to be parsed out in the next several decades is what the idea of truth is and what the idea yeah. of like, are we all experiencing the same reality when everyone can construct essentially their own little pod tailor-made yeah. algorithmically curated reality who's to say what's real any i mean it is kind of matrixy in a way but there isn't a there isn't a universal matrix no. right everyone's got their own little self-contained yeah. matrix and it's kind of freaks me out it's a little weird to think about yeah and i i think most the people that i am mostly interacting with i don't think are mentally ill but i do think that there is it's it's and i'm not i think mentally ill people deserve to have all the access to social media but it is such an odd thing of like how you're experiencing all the the huge glut of data that's coming into your brain at all points in time if uh, you have any kind of chemical imbalances it's rough i can't imagine how rough that is it's rough for all of us yeah, De- depending on how our chemical balances are. Emily told me about this study they did where they like sort of uh, they found out that the uh, the brain's response to someone challenging you on something you truly believe is the same as the brain's response to an actual physical attack. Sure. So like if someone tells you know disagrees with you mm-hmm. on something, your brain can't differentiate between that and like a guy attacking you with a chainsaw. Well, your armor just goes up. Because you're trying to protect your core belief system, yeah. Even if you, and it's you know, it's like it's like when you're in a dysfunctional relationship and you're just fighting to fight. Like, well, we're not even yeah. trying to, yeah. right? You know, so you have to stop. And <clears throat> the way that you get the armor to retract is, I think you have to have the presence of mind to ask a question of, okay, what do I really want to accomplish? Do I really want to understand what's going yes. on, or do I just want to fight? And if you just want to fight, at least just say like. Yeah, I know that, you know, I'm sure we can come to some understanding, but I don't want to do that. I, I, just yeah. want to, I just want this to be social media fight club. I want to punish. Yeah. I want to punish. I, I, yeah. And it's a lot of that where you were saying it's sort of like frustration and aggression coming out in wrong ways, you know, because I, I, I think that, that you're exactly right. That's a big part of it. And I think for guys, 
um, Emily was the one who told me this. Like, really, for guys, the only acceptable like male emotion is anger. Everything else is considered not not strong. Um, it's, and also, it's, crying, just, it's a much easier emotion to feel. Well, but everything, so like you feel. said, everything can turn into it. You can yeah. turn sadness in, into anger. You can turn joy into anger. Like sure. you see people Guilt, like... grief, anything yeah. can be turned into anger very easily. I think that's sort of the appeal of sports too. And I'm not against sports at all. But you'll see people like something good happen. They're like, yeah. And then you see them get aggressive with it. So sure. everything can turn into anger. And I think for guys, we're sort of taught to do that. And so I think especially on social media with guys, they're taking everything in their life, turning it into rage and just directing it at whoever will listen well it gets the most engagement yeah you know like when people this this sort of outrage addiction that we have culturally is it 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 it, it gets people engaged unfortunately and you know then this kind of i think darwinian thing happens where they people just start evolving in that direction oh because they see oh if i'm a little more aggressive i get more engagement so i should be a little more aggressive with even if it's not conscious not conscious at all it's yeah, okay the more yeah. aggressive the more aggressive the more aggressive and then all of a sudden they're at a point which is miles away from where they started but they've sort of painted themselves into this like angry red corner that's so true and they have to then it's a, then it's solidified as part of their yeah. identity and then how do they back how do you back out of that with that if if you're not that evolved of a creature to go you know yeah hmm, yeah maybe I'm gonna take a breath. i used to go up to clients uh, like who are like teenage boys sometimes even younger and girls too that were like in the middle of like massive like tantrums like i'm talking like violent crazy and i i would just be like do you wish you could stop this right now? Are you are you tired? If you do you wish you could stop and just like eat a hamburger? Like if you <laughs> if you could, if you could stop right now and just sit down and act like none of this ever happened and eat a hamburger, would you do it? Because and I'd say 45 to 50% of the time they would look at me and go, "Yeah." And I'd be like, "Let's just do it. We could act like we could just kind of walk away from this." And they'd be like, "Okay." And then they'd go and sit and eat a hamburger because you do once you start working yourself into a lather, it's hard to stop. It's really hard to stop unless someone kind of weirdly gives you permission to like, oh, I can just yeah. forget this happened. Oh, okay. All right. Well, and I think a lot, there's a lot of message boards where they, people sort of one-up each other and how offensive they can get. So I'll say something offensive. For instance, uh, it'll be like on a message board, like Jews control the media or something. And then everybody else is believing that and trying to one-up each other in like the, who can be the most offensive. Upvote culture. Yeah, upvote culture, exactly. And so you get to a point where suddenly in this little room, what is valued is uh, is trying to offend. And then you can take that mentality and you think the whole world is like that because there's hundreds of people on that message board who all agree with you and value you doing that. And you can take that mindset into something like Twitter, which is a little more open and, and uh, you know, equal. And you're sort of bringing that mindset out. And I think that's how a lot of these like um, <clears throat> racist things become like Okay, you know what it is? It's like when you do, when we used to do open mics and there would be people on stage who were like terrible comedians just trying to get a reaction. Yeah. That's what a lot of it is. Of course it is. It is. It's, it, it is. It's like, it's like a, a, a kid who says, okay, well, if you won't love me, then I'm going to make you pay attention to me. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to knock shit over and I'm going to no light attention. fires and I'm going to mm-hmm. kick things over. And then that just becomes a conditioned part of their personality. But I also feel like people so often... Uh, t- they come from a point of view of what their intention was and not what their actions were, and so oh, that's some I feel like people are a, people don't always have the ability to step outside themselves because they'll say something really shitty and you go that was really shitty. 
all I was doing was, and you go like, yeah, but you use the word fuckface in all caps, and then you said I should die. You know, well, if you can't take criticism, it's like it doesn't matter. Your intention does not justify your approach. Yeah. So you so. I feel like a lot of people don't have this tool sets to understand how to communicate effectively. Which, by the way, that shit's hard. It, I'm, we're it not is great hard. at it either. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I don't ever feel like I'm like this more, like, I, it's so easy for any of us to be like that too. Like, it's hard. That well, stuff is really, really It is, hard. but as comedians, I feel like that is part of our skill set is learning how to communicate. That's true. Because we have to, because we have to. Yeah. And so I think we're a little more focused on, ah, you know, and I think that's why there's a lot of, ar- a lot of arguments between like when a comedian says something that upsets people and they go, you can't say that. And the comedian goes, well, there's more nuance to it than that because we are so much more granular with language and communication and context. And most people really think about things at a very surface level and so it's just part of our it's just part of the you know it's just part of the thing that we do as you know and i think what's what's happened on the internet is that uh having nuance is not valued and it's either like something is the best thing ever or it's the worst thing and you're an idiot for liking it like (laughs) go to like av club comments or something no don't ever do that (laughs) it's what a nightmare what a nightmare and I, i and they're not even close to the worst but that's what it is. Like, if someone being like, I don't know how to feel about this. Nobody says that on Twitter. Everybody has like a really you gotta strong have a hot take. But you also, you know, we are of a generation that remembers a pre-internet era, yeah. where yes. where you really, because you were communicating with people largely in person or or at least on the phone, where you, in other words, you had to bear some measure of responsibility for whatever you said. And you can say shitty things, but then someone might beat the shit out of you or you or you don't have friends or you're very isolated. And so you learn like, okay, well, I need to listen to other people. And so I think we personalize a lot of that stuff more because that's part of our generation. And I think some people, even like AV Club comments, I'm sure they'll say the, oh, look at this piece of shit fucking, you know, they might be totally fine people in person. And if you go, why would you say this? I don't know. It's the Internet. Like people just think it's it's a separate thing. They think it's a separate form of communication. And that said, I think I'm, you know, I'm like, Oh, I kind of I get what communication. I understand myself emotionally. The first time that I got on the internet, I was on like prodigy bulletin boards, and I was creating multiple personalities, romancing guys, and all across the country, <laughs> I was being super weird to everybody. I I wouldn't delve into hate as much as like I had an ongoing relationship with a guy that kept describing himself as Satan, actual Satan, <laughs> and I gave him my home address. <laughs> so like, oh my god. Do you know what I mean? Like By the way, your parents still live there. (laughs) Satan's still out there with your parents' home address. Oh, no, he's been living with us for like 15 years. (laughs) Oh, here he is. uh, He lives in the basement. uh, I I just think, like, I don't, I think, you know, it's very easy being of that pre-internet generation. The first chance I had to be on the internet, I definitely went. I went ape shit. I went like I turned into a crazy. Ladies person. and gentlemen, Lydia Hurst has just walked Hi, into the house. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, I think what also happens is it, that thing of like it's the internet, so you talk like that on the internet. But a lot of people, I think most people, talk more in the internet than they talk to actual people. So that becomes your primary way of communicating with human beings, and and I think that starts reflecting back on your real life, and I think. The internet is changing the way we relate to each other in person too. Like I'll, I think aggression generally in real life is also increasing. But I also think that's true for you. I think you probably talk to people more online than you do in person. But I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure it's so true it's for like, a lot of people. Yeah. But, but you both, but you are both, 
you're both in a position where people tend to be more aggre- people tend to be more aggressive to women online, right? And ten- people tend to be more aggressive to Muslim uh, yeah. people online. And yeah. so I, I'm not not even online in real life, <laughs> but it, it so it's you know it, it's almost like. Y- you have to be extra patient because yeah. people are extra shitty to both yeah. of you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. But I think, I mean, I'm sure you get a lot of shit too, you know? Uh, yeah. And mm. I, I learned not to sort of look at my mentions. I turned on the quality filter. And most days, I, at some point, I had to be like, all right, I can't let this affect me. And every now and then it does, especially when you have something like our movie coming out, which is such a personal thing. So people somehow know, like, oh, this is, I can, I can prod at this thing, you know? But that's um, the thing. I think that's also interesting, too, to dig into those days, because I have those, too, where yeah. you're, like, going out and looking for people on the, on the Internet who are, like, being mean to you. or Like, going, like those are specific days and specific emotional states sure. that you have that you're, like, today's the day I'm going to dig into this. And it's, like, what's going on with you that day? And is right. it the same thing that's going on with the people who are attacking you? Right. It's interesting. I think it's, like, we are closer in some ways than we realize and that is, I, I never want it to be like an us or a them. And to my default, I kind of try to empathize with what ev- everybody's going through, even the people who are like saying the worst shit on earth to me. Like, something's going on with them. Something's, something's in there. Well, there is also, the, the thing you're talking about is a little bit of emotional cutting where you where you're like, oh, I just want to, I'm going to go uh, feel something online. Yeah. I just want to go get into it today. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, and it's not good. It's not healthy. It's and, not and, healthy. You know, but but uh, I, I also think the other thing is real quick. I think a lot of people think of like, oh, you go and you re- release pressure, and then you you let the rage out. I don't think that's true. I think anger begets anger. I think the angrier you get, the angrier you get. I don't think it's like a thing where you like you get angry, then it's out of your system and you're fine. I really think you can get conditioned to be more angry if you're just being more angry. Well, I think there's a way to release aggression and anger that is healthy that right. doesn't beget it, but I just don't know if it's online. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that's the I'm, way to do I'm it. Sure no, it's, right. yeah. it's, it's, painting a, uh, it's painting your parents on a pillow and then jerking off onto it, right? Exactly. Isn't that the... Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, yeah. is that not... Yeah. Are painting, like actual paint? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's interesting. I don't even know how that's aggression. Are they puffy If you were shitting on it, yeah, but I should have thought aggression. about this riff better before... <laughs> If you're shitting on it, that's aggression. But if you're like coming a... on it, that's, that's so much weirder. Yeah, and it's also your painting. Why do you want to destroy your yeah. art? There's so many reasons. I was going to give it to them, but instead I jerked off on it. You know, you know how it is. Are you looking at the painting of your parents, and then are you getting turned on by when riffs attack? Jeez, uh, when riffs backfire. Oh, why did I say that? Um, why did I say that, Emily? <laughs> when did you move to LA? Uh, when was it? 1988. And did you move here to like do stand up and stuff? My my mom and my stepdad moved out here my senior year of high school. But I always oh. wanted to. I mean, like, oh I, yeah, your mom lives here. My mom lives here, yeah. And my, but I always, you know, ever since I was a five or six years old, always wanted. To, I was obsessed with stand up, and you know, so I always wanted to do comedy. But then when I found out they had the opportunity to move out here, they were like. Would you be comfortable? I'm like, yeah, let's fucking go to California. Yeah. So. I'm oh, excited. wow. And then how long after coming here did you start doing stand-up? I did it a little bit in college in the early 90s, but then uh, I started working for MTV. And so. So you weren't doing stand-up when you started working for MTV? I had been doing it in college. But, right. uh, but, but to say I was doing it in college, I was in a, a group. That's where I met Mike Furman. We were in a group that would meet once a week and help each other write material, and then we would perform in the dorms. Aww. 
throughout the year. It, it, so it wasn't really like... But it was a show. You weren't just like going up to people on the floor. No, no, no. no, no. Like... They were shows. But I'm hesitant to say we were like stand-up comics per se because... And I think you'll understand this. It was a very self-contained system. Yes. Sort of like what you were talking about with Chicago, like when you're in one scene. Yeah. It was a very... Um, it was sort of like bowling with the bumpers in the gutters. It's like we were performing for people that were our, in our demographic mm-hmm. at our school. We had a lot of things in common with them. But we were baby comic. We were baby comics. Yeah. But then I didn't do it again. 1998 is when I really started doing stand-up full-time. Oh, wow. So you, there was a long period where... Yeah, there was probably seven years. And I did it a hand, couple times in between college and 1998. And it almost never went great. And so I would have a terrible set... And then I would be down for like a year, and then I would have another terrible set, and then be down for another year. That's what that's. I, I think having a, a one bad set, I think I'd be like, well, I have to stop doing this. That's forever. why it's important to perform as much as possible, yeah. because then at least you have a percentage. Yeah. If you only perform once in a year and it didn't go well, you go, I failed a hundred percent of the time. And yeah, but you, if you have, if you do a hundred shows, you yeah. go, well, you know, a percentage of them were great, a percentage of them were okay, a percentage of them were bad, but at least I have a scale. You know? Yeah. When you were at MTV, what what was your like? What did you want to do? What were your like? Well, I really wanted to do stand up, but I was just afraid of it for the reasons that everyone's afraid yeah. of it. It's like, well, how do I start doing? What do I do? And how do I? It's just like it feels like such an undertaking. But then you just. But in '98, I was done with MTV and everything, and I felt like, well, my career is at a. It's people didn't really come out of MTV to do anything else usually. Yeah. And so I was, it was sort of an unspoken curse. Kennedy's a a commentator. Well, now they do. Yes. But at the time, at the time it it wasn't Jenny McCarthy was like, and, and maybe Dan Cortez were like the only two people that sort of broke out and Pauly. Yeah. Uh, But most people, there was this sort of weird, Oh, those are MTV people. They don't, there was sort of like, we were treated somewhat like, I guess YouTube stars are treated now. Oh, that's interesting. That's right. Yeah. Where they go, Oh, they're YouTube stars. But it's like, Oh, it's MTV. So it doesn't really. Wow. And so, uh, I just, I just went back and started doing, I just started at the, at the open mic level. I was like, I'm not ready to go into clubs. Weird. Cause people knew you. I mean, yes and no. Uh, you know, I was drinking heavily at the time, so that had helped a lot of the it. But I mean, pad the having to deal with the emotional part of it. Can see their faces as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I also felt like this is something I care about. I got to start where everyone starts, and I I'm just not ready to go into clubs and and yeah. flail. So I just started at the very basic level of you know of doing. Wow. I did open mics for years. And who were the people that you were doing open mics with? Um, so some of the faces, some of the faces, when I would look around at the Gypsy Cafe in Westwood, I would see, uh, Galifianakis, Bamford, Patton, Posehn, um, so like a bunch of Jen nobodies. Kirkman, <laughs> Natasha Leggero, yeah. uh, you know, people like that was, that was, that was the group that I, they were all sort of starting out then, or they were sort of in the circuit. Some of them were a little more, some of them were, some of them were in the circuit, they had like one foot in that circuit and then one foot like they were just starting to become more established. Yeah. Uh, and then Largo like Largo blew up. And so that really helped a, a lot of people, too. So but that was the yeah, that was the fir- I think the the very first when I went to the Gypsy Cafe in Westwood for the first time, I was working on a show with Linda Cardellini and Linda goes Linda had been on Freaks and Geeks and she was like. Oh, uh, my friend Seth Rogen is doing stand up at this place called the Gypsy Cafe. We, let's go. So I went, and uh, and and then I think 
Oh, no, it wasn't Seth. He was there. He wasn't performing. It was Elizabeth Beckwith. But it was that, like, that was the group. Yeah. That was the group, basically. That was, that was, that wow. was the group. Yeah, so it was a pretty incredible time to yeah. be doing stand-up in LA. And when you were doing it with these guys, were you like, this is crazy. Everyone's really, really good. Like, did you have that feeling? Yeah, but I, but, but I feel like that also helped... You know, I think there's a healthy form of competition, right? Yeah. Which is where you're inspired by other people to do better, rather than I need to bury like other people shamed. to feel better about my ego, or that you're too shamed by like how good they are to like even so, like yeah, like there and and then there were still people out there like you know Tom Sharp and Ron Lynch and um, you know uh, Riley Newton and Stephanie Courtney and people that you would see and go holy shit, or Martha Kelly who then Zach put on gaskets and is amazing. So, so you would good. see these people and go, fuck, they're so good. And so it would just sort of inspire you to, to try to up your game. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, a lot of people... Now I think stand-up is more done in smaller cities. Like I'll do, a, I'll do like some small a show in some small town and they'll be like... Like I went back to my school to do my... Uh, like the commencement speech and they have a stand-up club there now. Oh, that's like, great. And like 20 people perform... Like, that's crazy. We didn't have that. But it's crazy. Like, my scene in Chicago when we started, it was like, it was crazy. It was like Hannibal and Kyle Kinane and Pete Holmes and TJ Miller. And we all like, uh, and John Roy, Matt Bronga, we all like, yeah, started together. And so I didn't even realize how crazy it was that everybody was funny. I was like, oh, yeah, everybody's always really funny. But, I, but I would argue that because you, you see that phenomenon happen a lot where you go, there was a period in Boston, which, yeah. which or all, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe it was like Burr, Geraldo or whatever, like a, like a group of people would come out of that scene. And, I, and I, think, I think some of it is the relationship that you had to each other right? It, as a group where you all sort of fed off that energy of each other and inspired. And obviously everyone kind of goes off in their own direction and specializes and everything. But, oh. but I think you guys, you know, you all, you all kind of really helped each other. I wonder I, what the quorum is on that. Like how many people do you need for that to be like an inspiring yeah. group to all? Like, is it three? Is it no, four? you need more. I mean, for you us, like six, right? It definitely was like, cause it was all these people watching and it wasn't like how well you did in front of the audience. It was like, how unique were you? And did you have a point of view? And were you trying stuff? And were you writing a lot? And that was definitely like, I remember Kyle being like, mm. I, I did an open mic and I killed. There was an open mic called Lion's Den that like we all went to every Monday night and it was packed. It was like a real show. Everybody would do five minutes. And I killed and I got off stage and Kyle was like, you did that stuff earlier. And I was like, <laughs> right, you're right. So there was that thing and Kyle wasn't I mean he was a little bit trying to shame me but he was also a little bit like hey we gotta up your game man yeah yeah but yeah. that's good you're accountable to each other you know yeah, and because of that you are everyone's you know so the next time maybe you raise the bar a little bit and then that makes him raise the bar a little bit and then that makes someone else raise the bar and then all of a sudden you know so it it is like a you're you're, you're a comedy group without really being a comedy group you know? Yeah, right. that's true. Yeah, and I feel like we all have like this weird kinship from back then too. Like, I think the... it's great though. I love yeah. that thing of seeing everyone flourish and going, oh my God, that's, oh, look what he's doing or look what she's doing or that's amazing. Oh, wow. You know, like I'm, I'm pretty like, uh, 
I, I love it. I love watching people succeed. I loved when you got on Silicon. I loved, you know, just seeing, I loved when you started writing for the Carmichael show. <laughs> it was like, it's, it's just fun to see people. It's fun to see the world discover what you already knew about people. It was like, oh, these people right. are talented and funny. And you see that, like the fact that Adam Sandler and Judd Apatow were like roommates back in the day, you know, yeah. it's that kind of thing. They're both like mega stars now, but like they were also part of a little crew, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Sirens. Hold your sound. Wow, this is... Stop trying to save people. <laughs> why are you going to save people? Yeah, why are you yeah. going to have them be so loud? What's like, your out, cares? by the way? This is clearly more important. Um, we both um, have stuff at two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to... I just want to make sure it's not like, hard out at one! No, no, no. Because I still, I still want to pick your brains a little bit about yeah. E3 and, you know... Uh, I, I, which you probably haven't on. had time at no, all. Oh, did you get to go at all? I went, I went to E3 for... Like uh, I did, I did a panel there, and then I went to the Nintendo booth for like twenty minutes and played Mario Odyssey, and it's fucking great. Is it awesome? Yeah, it's great. It's just this fun, super open world. His hat is a creature, so you can throw your hat, and it has eyes, and you can possess. Your hat has eyes, and yeah. you can throw it, and it and, hang- you, and you can possess other people in you the game. It's like a totally open world. Dinosaurs what? and stuff. I saw. It was, it was I so saw much fun with that. Yeah. yeah, I haven't yeah. seen. I haven't seen any of the news out of E3 this year. I looked up State of Decay two because that's the one game I was like the most excited. Uh, uh, to know about and then other than that I haven't really seen Yeah, anything. we usually go into E3 so much and we but these last few days specifically have been so busy but so I've been like holding off I want to do like a deep dive and figure out but you know certain things bubble up like uh, the Mario thing and I think the new Wolfenstein looks mm-hmm. cool like so so there's certain things that people will talk about that I'm excited about. I've been I've I've logged over 200 hours on Zelda Breath That's, of the Wild. Oh wow. Wow, how great. It's great. It's such a like a it's gorgeous. It's like sort of like a zen like game. Like it's a it's relaxing. Like it sounds good. Yeah, it is. And I've pretty much done everything there is to do. There's still a couple little things, but I really just run around and yeah. just kill That's things. That's what the that first the first game for me was like such a sense of like wow, I have so much ground to cover. I have so many <laughs> adventures to go on. Like this really corny like sense of like I have so much to do and this is so exciting. And I game. A, a Zelda game has not done that for me until Breath of the Wild. Like that one is the the next one that I've had the sense of like, wow. Well, the so Switch much to really do. helps that it you can take it anywhere. My biggest problem for gaming is just not. I love RPGs, but they just eat up a lot of time, and so it's very hard to sit in front of a TV yeah. and find like a you know. But I can take the fucking Switch anywhere. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was playing mobile in 3DS just because I could take it everywhere. But yeah. now I can take this everywhere. And so it, it, that changed everything for me. And it really, like, if you're sitting in a car, like, being driven somewhere, you're like, play, you can play? No, it? I get car sick if I do that. Really? I, I would like to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, when you're, like, busy and working on stuff, these, the things that you play or watch that you can find time for, it's so, they really, to me, become part of the experience of working. Like, for instance, when we were doing our movie, that really was our lives. But on the weekends, I would play Uncharted 4. And Doom, and we watched the OJ documentary. And so weirdly, those become like part of, like when I think of our movie, like playing Uncharted 4 is part of those memories. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I really, I really loved like. And I was surprised we were able to keep up with that game because I think also, too, we just wanted to kind of turn our brains off. And that game does involve your brain more than like a. Like, I play a lot of Civ 6 when I'm super busy because I'm like, I can, it it requires strategy, but I also am like, just gonna. Do a cultural, culturally conquer the world. Everything's going to be fine. I can do this. I'm going to get some paintings. I'm going to, and 
that feels manageable, whereas a game, like a more intense game like uh, Uncharted 4 sometimes would be overwhelming. But for me, it was it was so cinematic. Indoor kids. We're doing an indoor kids podcast, <laughs> yeah. you guys. I'm so excited. Here we go. Kettle, bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> I do want to do an indoor kids episode that is about like all the stuff we did during while, while we were making the movie. <laughs> because I think that was... Because I, I do feel like a little bit like... I, I, I feel like... Uh, debt of gratitude to like Naughty Dog and like Id and, and, Mar- and Maria Bamford because we watched and Maria watched, Bamford's uh, show Lady, yeah. Dynamite. Lady Dynamite yeah we watched that while we were making the movie too because we really only had Saturdays off so all day we would just lay on the couch order and eat a ton of food and play video games and watch TV shows and uh, and all of that, I feel like they really like helped us. They did help do us, all of that for stuff. Sure. Like, I'm I so wanna... excited. I'm so excited that you did indoor kids because someone was asking about. They're like, oh, when you started the podcast network, why did you want to do a podcast network? I go, I didn't. I don't think I really thought I want to do a podcast network. I was just so excited about doing a podcast that I would say to people like you, you got to do a podcast. It's yeah. like the greatest thing in the world, and people listen and they come to your shows, and it's great. I know it and- is. It, it it is wonderful. It's it's such a bummer that we have not literally just had not had time to do it's, it. It's also yeah, it part. It's not just the time to record. It's also time to like consume enough stuff to like to so talk for, about. Yeah, yeah. Like I played this game Horizon Zero Dawn for like three months and I loved it. But I was just like, I, I don't want to try out new games. I'm enjoying this game. When we were doing the podcast, you kind of have to do a bunch of stuff. Yeah. But it was the show that like first changed my career. I remember doing indoor kids and we would go on the road and it would be like 60, 70 percent of the crowd. It was small venues, like a couple hundred people. But there were a lot of people there from indoor kids. It was the first time that I was able to start touring and Emily and I would go together. It was the first time that um, I was able to get an audience at all. And, And it's people who really know you who are like really excited to be there and a lot of people who are like it's my first stand-up show i've never been to a stand-up show really really good fans yeah oh that's right because we did uh we did a show together in seattle that time and i think you were like oh that was that's right because i think that was right when people started coming out to shows and you came off stage you go I can't believe I just got to do a bunch of video. I got just got to do like <laughs> these nerdy references I can never get away with in clubs. I can't believe it. And I go, yeah, man, that's the power of podcasts. <laughs> that's right. It was like people will find what you. Was the venue like it the was the showbox? The showbox. Yeah, that's right. I remember being like, oh my god, that was unbelievable. <laughs> every the reference they got, every reference. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's just really exciting to have to like talk about what you want to talk about and not have to worry about. Really trying to make anyone else happy. Yeah. Yeah. But I I think one of the things that I've always enjoyed about your relationship, if that's okay to do, is that (laughs) uh, you guys really do... You're connected to the extent that you really do everything together. (laughs) Yeah. But not in a creepy way. uh, (laughs) That you played video games together. You made this movie together. And someone told me... Maybe it was Natasha. But someone told me that... Whenever one of you has to get up at a certain time, yes. you go to bed at the same time and you get up at the same we time. We made a rule. This was back when I had a full-time job and Kumail was – we just moved to New York. I was – I was, I was following su- my dream. Kumail was following his <laughs> dreams and I was, I was supporting – I was open mics in all bars. Yeah. Spoiler alert. They end up together. Yeah. <laughs> I was supporting him and so he would like stay up late playing Halo and I would be like, okay, new house rule. <laughs> If I'm working full time to support us, we have to go to bed at the same time. Like, I'm not going to bed by myself. Like, oh, my husband's playing video games because he's a comedian. I'm not doing that. So we set that rule up back then. Great for me back then. 
Not so good when he has like a 5 a.m. call time. Do you still follow it? Absolutely, oh, yeah. we do. It really so, fucked her. Like, we'll go to bed. <laughs> when we're shooting Silicon Valley, I'm like, all right, 8 p.m. Time to go to bed, honey. And I really will. I will go to bed at 8 p.m. And then I wake up at like 5.30 in the morning. And I, by the time it's 11 a.m., my day is done. I've done everything I need to do in a whole day. And I'm like calling friends like, what are you doing? Are you do you guys want to take nap? a walk? I, she can absolutely, nap. yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I go to work, then she yeah. can do whatever. I'm, you I'm home alone, just calling friends, being like, "Hey, do you guys want to hang out?" And they're like, "It's 7 a.m. What are you doing?" And she doesn't have to be up when I'm. I up. certainly don't. No, but it's I, just, I we, just we go to bed at the same we go to bed at the same time, so I'm like done sleeping, so I wake up, and it I find it to be quite productive. But it is, uh, it has fucked me truly. It is a rule that has <laughs> fucked me. Uh, and when I was working on Carmichael and had really long hours, sometimes we would have to like fudge that, it a little. Yeah, that was a rough time. she'd be at work till like one thirty, two a.m. and I had to be up at 5 a.m. So Those were rough times. To, but, yeah. uh, but for the most part, we try to adhere to that rule. Yeah. What time do you go to bed? Um, it depends. I mean, we usually uh, – we love – I love getting into bed almost the second I get home. <laughs> I mean, we uh, – because we have a um, – uh, we bought this antique chest and then had it modded so that a TV rises out of it at the foot of the bed. Oh, and so like it's on a motor, so it zzz, it oh comes up, so you don't see it in the room when we close it. But it's at the foot of the bed and it's a big screen, so it, it's it's just like being in a little theater in, at the foot just of the bed, laying down with a huge TV. And so it's great. Like after I work all day, so you know, we'll sometimes we'll just we'll eat dinner at like seven seven thirty, and then just get into bed and just like watch you know, investigation discovery or horror <laughs> movies or whatever it is that we watch. And we probably don't really fall asleep until around 1130 or 12-ish yeah. um, because the cat wakes up at 730 yep. yeah. no matter what. Yep. And that's a little flexible. Sometimes it's 7. Sometimes it could be a little later than 730. We, but got, a, we got a 6 a.m. cat. Over oh, you got a 6 a.m. cat. Yeah. Bagel's a 6 a.m. cat. Hardcore. Anubis is a 730 a.m. Yeah. cat. Yeah. And so that we all, I always know, like, well, no matter what time we go to bed, we are definitely waking up. <laughs> When the cat wants to Do you to get watch fed. American Gods? Yeah, I've just been waiting to bank a handful of episodes, but uh, I'm dying to watch it's American so good. Gods. You I'm will sure love it's incredible. It. So you will love good. It. And, but it is like, it's so dense. I love it. It's like my favorite show on right now because fucking Game of Thrones still isn't on. Nope. Um, but it's very, it's dense. Like, it's you feel very, like you need a nap when you're done with an episode. It's very like, literary. Yeah. Like, there's a lot going on. And visually, it's incredibly intense to watch. So it's, uh, yeah. So that's what we do a lot of. Uh, <laughs> we couch, we couch it instead of uh, getting in bed because we don't have a great TV in our bedroom. And we just are on the couch kind of going through stuff. And then if it's a rough time, Seinfeld. We just have a ton of Seinfeld episodes <laughs> yeah. that we, uh, we DVR. Just brain sorbet. Syndication. Oh, my God. It's so great. And then every time you're like, <gasps> What a great episode. Like, yeah. you're just, like, still excited about Brain how good science is. For us, it's either Futurama or Rick and Morty or, yep. like, Rick or, and Morty's amazing. or just something. There's just not enough of them. There's just not right. enough. That's and why Seinfeld's great. I just, I just, I fear that the Rick and Morty train, I, I just, you know, it's taken them so long to get a season three out yeah. that I feel like, are they really going to do a season four? Yeah, what's going like, to Is it going to be, like, 20, 20 by the time season four comes out? It's a very out? good question. Did you see the first episode of season yeah. four? Yeah. It's, it's so good. It's fucking great. I was like, give me more, give me more. It's amazing. More. Yeah, it's a good, it's an amazing <laughs> it's, show. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. Somebody we, was telling me that they uh, let their, like, six-year-old watch Rick and Morty, and they were like, it's, they're like, it's so funny, because my six-year-old will, li- like, hear jokes about, like, cum stains or whatever, and, like, the kid will, like, go, ha, <laughs> No idea what it's like. Uh, you can't get. Well, half there was those stuff jokes. in the Bugs Bunny cartoons. I mean, Bugs exactly. Bunny never said I just touched one of Morty's loads, but exactly. It, but it, 
but there were still a lot of adult jokes in there when Bugs Bunny would dress up like a lady or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, there were there were sexual things in it without without Bugs Bunny going, you know, what's up with your jizz, Doc, or whatever. <laughs> but it, but Rick and Morty, like I think kids it just sails right. <laughs> What's up with your jizz, Doc? It's maybe the best thing I've that's heard a great, all day. That's a good T-shirt. Nah, what's up with your jizz, Doc? Like, what is that is- what you say to your parents, painting on the pillow? Hey, come on now. We got past that riff like a half hour ago. Can't we just, just let that go? Though. I don't think we've gone past it. I think that's such a specific emotion, though, that feeling when you rewatch something that you watched as a kid and all the jokes you didn't get that you're, you're like, now getting. Like, oh, oh okay, wow. I get it. Yeah. Yep. And even with Love those, there's feeling. so many cultural references that are like, oh, that was a famous person or that was a thing or that. Was a, oh, yeah. yeah, they would totally have, like, I remember as a kid watching, they're like, I'm like, this is clearly a reference to some actor or something, some Hollywood thing that I have, and I still don't know what. Well, in Pakistan, about. too, I'm sure there must oh, have been yeah. a ton of stuff where you're like, I don't know. And Yeah, we got all the cartoons. We also got, like, mad magazines, but we didn't get all the stuff that they were making fun of. So, so like, I knew RoboCrap before I knew RoboCop. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. Someone made a movie out of this yeah, joke. Exactly. Yeah, wow. Cool. They, they turned it into a serious What thing. were the Ninja Turtles? This is, I love this oh. so much. T- uh, the Ninja Turtles parody was called Teen Rage Moolah Nitwit Turtles. The, tur- the Turtles <laughs> the is still Turtles. turtles. And what was that Teen movie called Rage. in Pakistan? When it came to Pakistan, what was that movie called? Oh, in, they called it in Europe, they called it Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Because ninjas thought, were bad they, skis. Oh. They thought ninja was too violent and they thought <laughs> nunchucks were too violent because they're illegal over there. So Michelangelo came with a sword... Which sort still pretty yeah. deadly. Yeah, it'd be fun if they just worse. replaced it with like t- t- a baguette of bread, <laughs> like something like yeah. I love food. They do love pizza. To, do love pizza. <laughs> it's easier to kill someone with a sword than with a so much nunchuck. Easier. Yeah, yeah. Is nunchuck the two sticks with the chain in between? You know what it is. Don't I pretend. honestly, I How was. Could you not know? <laughs> Camilla's like deeply disappointed in me as a spouse. I, for whatever reason, I kept thinking throwing stars were nunchucks, but they're Shuriken. not. No, those are throwing. Yeah, okay. throwing stars. All right, nerds. Yeah. All throwing right, nerds. Stars, we're done. We're done here. Okay. What? I had a momentary lapse. On... We are far from done. How dare you? Yeah. How nunchucks? dare you, you madam? <laughs> I really wanted to learn nunchucks when I was a kid. I had a little like flip book, like a black and white flip book of uh, uh, Bruce Lee doing mm-hmm. nunchucks. And I would like, I had like plastic nunchucks and I would watch it. Do you think like... people hurt themselves with those more than anything? I remember going to some sort of a convention or something when i was i couldn't have been more than like 10 years old and bought a throwing star (laughs) (laughs) and just had it like a fully fucking sharp and i remember just throwing it into the fence out in the backyard and i don't know if my parents were really knew about it because i feel like my mom was pretty overprotective i don't think she would have let me have like five knives on a wheel yeah uh, but you had one yeah but i had one it's like a sharp frisbee yeah It's a very scary idea. It's a murder frisbee. Yeah, Yeah, jeez. Well, we had like a flea market in our hometown that like you, I could have gotten a gun as like an 11-year-old there, 100%. And I bought, I was looking at the knives one time and the guy was like, oh, little lady, you're probably going to want this. And showed me a lipstick knife that was a tube of lipstick that a knife kind of came out of. And I was like... Okay, I'm I'm 12, but okay, that sounds like a good I idea. I kind of want that, it's and it would be different. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah that but that pretty... seems like you could get confused at start. You pull out lipstick and just cut your face open. <laughs> cut your face open. <laughs> but as you up. know, many Ugh. of my hometown friends all carry knives. So it's just a Yeah, thing. we yeah. were uh, at a bar with Emily's friends, and they all of them had knives. Well, one of them pulled out a knife, and Camille was like, you carry a knife? And he was like, yeah, obviously. And then all my friends pulled out their knives, and Camille took a photo of them. And they've never had to use them. Well, you don't know. They're it's rough. empty They're bravado. Rough but those flea markets, I feel like there were places back then that 
I think probably do still exist now where you could get like bootleg Fugazi and like t-shirts from random Yeah, the flea markets were kind of the dark web of they really were of, <laughs> of real life. They had like pornography and like all kinds of bootleg stuff and also weapons and it was my f- and kittens. Always someone giving away kittens at the door. The flea market is an acceptable black market basically <laughs> where you can just get yeah. things under the radar that are just a totally acceptable yeah. as long as it's considered junk but from so oh you know I just I had all these guns lying around the attic don't worry about it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> They're totally fine. Did you see I Don't Feel at Home in This World anymore? Did you see that movie? Uh, is Was that the... It's Elijah Wood Linsky and Melanie Linsky. Linsky. Yeah, Elijah Oh, Wood. yes, 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 yeah. The Netflix movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was great. Throw, good throwing stars in that movie. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and also a great, like, um, uh, the market... Scene. Flea market kind Flea of thing, yeah. Place. yeah. Yeah, that's a cool. Yeah, I, li- I liked his uh, his sort of karate guy. Uh, yeah. in that, yeah, yeah. Really, that was that was a it's super fun so movie. Funny when he throws the star in it and then he can't pull it out, and then he finally does, and he goes, "That's how hard I threw." It. <laughs> <laughs> what are you? How are you supposed to actually hurt someone with a throwing star? Like, what what it was his original purpose? Like, I'm far yeah, away. To embed it, in people. someone's face. Do you think that's right? It'll because yes. it, it'll go straight into a like yeah. through bone and stuff. Sure. If you throw it hard enough, yeah, you you get the. the momentum you know like it's it'll spinning yeah. it's spinning i just think mostly they go into walls and bounce off i can't or imagine. heads or heads or I eyes. Guess that's true. it's certainly not the most practical you because... should want to do it aim for that so- sorry katie i'm aiming at you at the soft parts you know like the tummy rather than a skull maybe but i think but i think you if you get an eye that's like probably good. You, then You're you can right. then you, then you've crippled someone if you can get that's them true. in the eye honestly you throw really? anything at an eye yeah that's true <laughs> I threw these keys at your eyes. Eyes are pretty. <laughs> eyes are pussies, you guys. I can't take anything. You really need a bunch of throwing stars. Like if it's you're true. a ninja going into battle, how many are you bringing with that was you? It's a great sound, by the way. Well, yeah, that, that, that's like that's like the ninja that drops into the enemy compound and then just, just immediately. It's like, where was he storing all of those? Yeah. And how is he producing them like a fucking magician? Need like a, a a thing that like like a belt like a like dispenses a, them or something. Yeah, like a, pez dispenser, like a pez dispenser, dispenser like a pez for dispenser. killing for yeah, ninja but, stars for ninja stars. But then, are you when you're done with battle? Are you going around recollecting them? I think or expensive. You probably should keep using them. I don't know who goes them. around and cleans up all of Spider-Man's web jizz all over the all yeah. over the city. Well, but at least with Spider-Man's web jizz, he makes new web jizz with his web jizz hands. Yeah, but who's cleaning up? Like Somebody. basically at a certain point New York would look like your grandmother's attic because <laughs> yeah. of all of these webs hanging around. Web like jizz. they don't they, it takes them a while to disintegrate. Yeah, do you think when Spider-Man's really angry, he paints a picture of his parents on the pillow and shoots his web jizz at? I think, he's, I think he's not allowed to shoot his webs within 500 feet of a school. That's what I think. I don't Probably know. I'm just true. guessing. Yeah, that's a good rule. Yeah. I saw a comic yesterday that was Spider-Man, that Spider-Man only really works in cities because it was like Spider-Man in a small town and he like shoots his uh, web out and then he just falls to the ground because there's like nothing around. Well, that yeah, Furman, Furman would... Uh, this is Furman would say that when we would go when we go on the road, he would look around. When we first started going on the road, he'd look around and he was like making mental notes. And I go, "What are you doing?" And he'd go, "Oh, I'm just checking to see how Spider-Man would do in this city." Oh, that's <laughs> and this so was like you know Furman. when we would tour colleges, that's you know, so like ten, great. twelve years ago. And I go, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "Well, if you don't have any tall buildings, yeah. he's just got to hail cabs." Yeah, yeah. like how's he supposed he to? Has no power. Yeah, he has no. Yeah. I mean, he's strong and he's kind of fast, but he can jump. But he, he really needs a, an that object. Sense. He should yeah. sense not going to Iowa. Don't go to that city. <laughs> Sorry, you're going to have crime in your town until you put up some buildings. I don't know what to tell you. I don't think superheroes generally would work in small towns anyway. Like, Batman wouldn't look right in Iowa. No. no. Are and there any small town superheroes? There's got to be. Oh, my God. What a great idea. Though. Well, I mean, Superman was from Smallville, but, yeah. but he got out. He, he got out enough to get out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you couldn't have Aquaman because it'd be like, well, there's a lake. 
Yeah. You know, or there's a little bit of a pond. You could just always see him yeah. under the water. <laughs> be like under a glass table. Aquaman is super limited anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah. you really need, like, nautical crimes. He's like the, what's that show? Jag? Yeah, yeah. He's no, like yeah. the Jag of, yeah, that's right, of superheroes. Yeah. Whatever the, <laughs> yeah, whatever the name is. Right. No, he has no authority outside this, this closed system. <laughs> yeah, just Lake Michigan. If there's any crimes here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're inland. It. I can't. Sorry, yeah. call Sorry. someone else. He's yeah. just rescuing people who have like feet encased in this, the concrete that the mafia does. You know, I, mean, I could throw a dolphin at you, but that's about it. That's I, about if, I didn't, it. if I didn't hit you, dolphins you can throw like far. a little octopus, like throwing stars. That's true. Or an eel, an electric eel. Electric eel, yeah. They could oh do it. Yeah, he could do a lot yeah. of stuff. It's right? just how far he can throw, which is why it's good that he's Jason Momoa. He's a very muscular man. Yeah. Yeah, that works. Yeah. So just before we, because I uh, just want to, I'm just trying to be, uh, I'm trying to be conscious of your, sure. of your time. So just a couple more things uh the first being did you discover anything about your relationship as you because this idea like you said you understood more about your parents when you were writing for them but obviously in the creation of this story of the big sick you guys had to relive a lot of stuff and you had to pull a lot of stuff back out and you had to a lot so uh did that I just think you guys have such an, uh, at least from the outside, it looks like you have such an awesome relationship. So what did you learn about each other? And then what are the keys to a good? <laughs> well, the key is to write a movie with your spouse. And that really, I think, helps tremendously. Well, I think, I think that's true. And I think the key also is, and I learned this with, obviously with you, is that the relationship is never done. It's constantly evolving. It's something that you work on separate from yourself. And that it is, it requires thought and work and it requires evolution, right? Yeah. Like it, it's never, your relationship's never like static. It should always be changing because you're always changing. I think we're, I think we've gotten pretty good and also through this movie gotten really good at kind of, kind of matter of factly discussing our faults and our shortcomings and all that stuff that is quite vulnerable that I think in other relationships and in my past, I would have like done my best to kind of be like, no, 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 oh, that's, I'm great. Everything's great. And that's truly vulnerability, I think, is, is the hardest part of any relationship is like kind of being like physically and emotionally vulnerable in front of another person and hoping that they see it and don't do anything awful with it and sure. kind of trusting them to not do anything awful with that. And so I think uh, if you're not willing to do that with someone, you're not really with the right person. Don't do it all at once. Let it let them earn it. But uh, in writing this movie, I think we both had to get pretty matter of fact about each other's like shortcomings, which weirdly kind of. It's weird because you're talking about the characters of yourself, but you actually are, in a lot of ways, talking about yourself or exaggerated versions of yourself. Totally true. Like, yeah. there would be things where we would have to be like, okay, so character Emily worries about this, <laughs> and character Kamel. We and know we what had we're to come up with that. Yeah. And we didn't come up with it soon enough, probably. <laughs> and we should have come up with it. But, but it is because, you know, me understanding how I was back then was a little bit through, and to write it was through Emily's eyes being like, you were sort of like this, like this, like this. And then, the same thing, and now it's sort of like that. Where like, I remember we were talking about how you and Emily in the movie are different, and how you dealt with your. And I remember just very candidly saying something about how you dealt with it, <laughs> and we'd never talked about it. So as I said it, I was like, "Oh my god!" I just like did a major critique of Emily <laughs> without like even like it's become very normal for us. Like the do you know? Do you remember what I'm talking about? The no, I don't think I do. How you dealt with? I think this is okay to say. Like how you dealt with getting sick and then being okay was for a little while pretending oh, I, as if it didn't affect you. Oh yeah, I being was, like that yeah. was fine. I was in a coma and I learned nothing. I'm 
the same person. That's went, sort like, of how you yeah. try to deal with it. When in reality, obviously, it shook you yeah. and, and it changed you in very dramatic ways. Well, is yeah. there any way? Can you feel in any less control? Than knowing, like, right. well, there's a period. How long was the coma? Uh, eight days. Eight it days. was eight days was the actual coma, but then she was up but doesn't have any memory of it. For there's the a next couple three. days. So to me, I was in a coma for longer than eight days, but they were like, no, your eyes were open. You were fine, but I have no memory of it. So we, that's a thing that we still have. Because as they're weaning you off of the medication, yeah. it gives you amnesia. So she doesn't actually remember going into the coma and she doesn't remember the first few days after the coma. So long story short, we'll say eight days. So yes, I was in did it days. seem? Did it, did it? Did it feel like... One minute you were looking at a hospital room, and then the next minute you, you just... No, I was quite conscious of time passing, and I think that you was... You were? Yeah. It wasn't like... No, it really Tell them wasn't. about the dreams, yeah, Emily. Was, shit. I, and I think that's partially because I was... It was a medically induced coma, and I can't speak for everybody who's in one, but uh, I was aware of time passing and days passing. Oh, but I thought that I was in the hospital to, for Kamel. I thought Kamel had been hurt and that I was there for him. But then later it turned into, I thought, because at the time I was working in an institution for very mentally ill people, I thought I had been locked into an institution. And I was like, oh, they think I'm mentally ill. I'm going to have to just break out because I'm not crazy. Oh, my God. So I uh, had like weird little, I had. So you don't remember feeling like you were. You, you you felt like you could walk around and Physically, stuff? I thought I was okay. I just thought emotionally something weird and bad had happened. So I had like a guy that, in my head, there was a guy with sticky, his arms were made of Jolly Ranchers and he was like my confidant. That Seems was totally normal. Sticky that was hands. the tape. That sticky. was all the tape that they were putting on me was him like kind of because they would put tape to put drips yeah. in and I'd syringes and all of that. So, yeah. so she would feel the stickiness and was like, that oh, this was is my friend. Sticky. Could you hear him talking to you? I, I could hear my parents every once in a while. So I knew they were there. I could hear him. And I, once I think I'm, I'm quite sure I saw your face because I was like, oh, why is he wearing glasses? That's weird. Like I, and you were wearing glasses. I wouldn't wear, you know, those days I was like, I'm not going to put it in context. You just wear glasses because everything's yeah. falling apart. Uh, and so, yeah, I was very conscious, but I, I didn't think it was me. I thought, I was like, oh, I'm just going to have to break out of here. The fl- Kareem Abdul Jabbar was a friend of mine that I like hung out with. Like so it was, he was just, very supportive of yeah. the whole process. It was just the floating head of just Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, <laughs> sure. one there. of the doctors. So clearly, like something was happening, and I was like processing stuff, and but not in any correct way. So uh, when I woke up, I didn't know. I thought it'd been maybe a couple of days. I didn't know how long it had been, but I was very aware that it was like, oh, something weird has happened to me for Holy sure. Shit, yeah, yeah. But it's so strange that you're not like. It's not like instant it's not like you went into a coma and you woke up like sleeping at at night but even when you sleep at night you're sort of weirdly aware of time passing it felt like a night a sleepless night where you keep waking up over and over again and like time isn't passing the way it should like it was all very confusing and i was just trying my best to kind of like figure everything out but uh that was yeah at one point i thought i was going to a dance recital and i was like i'm late i just had all these like weird stuff i was trying to create to like figure out what was happening oh my god yeah (laughs) Yeah, isn't it strange? They can like kind of hear you and stuff. So people, and that's what the nurse would say to me, like, talk to her, it'll help her, talk to her. And you sort of talk to her and you feel slightly stupid, but it's also like sometimes you're really emotional talking to her and sometimes you're just telling her about stuff. Because the nurse was like, she can hear you. And it is crazy. I you could hear could us. Hear. Yeah. I couldn't, I don't, like, I wasn't like every moment, like, oh, they're, now they're talking about this. Now they're talking about this. But I just was like, oh, I know they're there. I could hear my, I knew my mom was there. I could hear her. And then afterwards, every time you grab someone's hand, you can see their future, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's part of my powers now. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Well, the other weird thing is that when she was laying there, and it's a little bit in the movie, we reference it, how strange it was. So, you know, her, her, everything's elevated and she's got 106 fever and her heart is, it's all this crazy stuff. And she's just laying there, 
And the nurse would be like, she's a fighter. She's really fighting. And it doesn't look like she's fighting. But the nurse would say that clearly she's like a very stubborn person. And some part of her is actually fighting this illness. Like, it's not just the medicine and stuff. Well, I also was fighting being in the coma. I would like, I would fight and try to pull my respirator out at times. But that was later. That was when they like kind of pull. Because the weird thing was once you were out of the coma for us, but not for you. Like your eyes were open I and still stuff. Had the respirator in? Yeah, you still had the oh, tube I didn't in. Know that. So she was up and she it's like a plastic tube going down, down your, your throat. throat. So she would oh, like rip it out. That's when I was pulling that out. I actually didn't so know they that like until had this her moment. Down. So at the end of that eight day period when I think I'm in my head I'm still in the coma, I was that's when I was pulling out my respirator and they had to like tie my hands. Yeah, because before stuff. that you were in a coma. You weren't you weren't doing anything. There was like no movement. Have you ever had any moments in your life where you go Wait, am I still like? Do you ever have any Jesus, kind of? Not until just now. Okay, good. <laughs> I will. Emily, I... wake up. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, things really have gone kind of best case scenario since then. <laughs> so clearly, <laughs> yeah. how can this be real? Like, really, your life is really a movie. Oh, like, no, that's yeah. a real Matrix. thing. Oh, sure, it is. Oh, no. Okay, Emily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It comes oh, out no, next week. Your yeah. movie. And then I turn and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Kamel is sitting just here. just happens to be on a, <laughs> yeah. one of the most successful shows on television. You happen to create one of the best comedy shows in Los Angeles for like six years. Yeah. It's all totally real. Yeah, you look at Chris. He's got like Jolly Rancher hands. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's not like I didn't. I haven't seen you on TV before, for God's sake. What if all this is Yeah, been? of course. Right, right. Oh, yeah, no. you're working with Judd Apatow. Oh, you know, no. Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter's my mom. No, she's not. <laughs> I definitely when I sometimes when I go home to my parents' house without Kumail and I'm in in my parents' basement where they've lived in the same house forever (laughs) and I'll be like at home and I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be like, Oh my god, did I just invent my entire life? And I'll have to like check my phone and be like, Kumail, you're we're together, right? Everything's cool, right? You look and see like, okay, there's a lot of apps. Okay, we have technology. Okay, great. Okay, I remember tweeting this. This is a real thing. (laughs) Right, right. There's no way this is my life. No, it's all it's all real. (laughs) I just as I said, as we're sort of winding this down, I really hope that <clears throat> I, I really do think things are going to tip for you guys in a really exciting and crazy way um, just because, you know, you're writing and you're on a hit show and then now you've made this thing and I think people are really going to pay attention to it. And I think it's going to – I think it'll you'll start to get some of the – and I, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant or – or like a privileged asshole, but you'll start getting some of the str- some more stress of success, which is like, oh my god, what do I do? I can do these things. I yeah. can do more things. I can. I have options. What do I do? I don't want to fuck this. You know, the options so are very scary. The options are yeah. scary because you want to make sure you do the right thing. So I just think, you know, it's. I think it'll it'll be an interesting. I'm glad that you guys have each other to navigate this. <laughs> yeah, because I've seen people navigate it that don't have a good. Um, like support system, good yeah. Good support system, yeah. or aren't tethered, or they maybe have a destructive support system, uh-huh. and so it's. I'm very happy that you guys have each other, yeah. and of course you have us. You have your friends too, people who well, care about you. If you, well, that's the thing that's really great. I think about this often. You know, before I came to LA, LA has this thing of like it's all shallow and stuff, but our friends no. here are like lovely, wonderful, sincere people, supportive, who are all very good at what they do, who are very talented. And like, it really is kind of amazing that we get to be friends with like the most talented people in the world who are also like the kindest and most empathetic people. It's really, it's such a special, rare thing, like going through the way sort of, you know, the way like, 
things have happened in America and things have gotten surprising. It's so lucky that we get to be friends with the people we get to be friends with. That's true. That's absolutely true. Well, that's ultimately when people make the shallow. LA is shallow. Like every place is shallow. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah there are, you know, there are places on Sunset Boulevard we don't go to. Absolutely. We just find our core group of friends. We find the neighborhood that we like and we stick to that. Like yep. it's LA is so big yeah. that you can have any experience here, but that's every place true. has shitty parts to it. It doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. And sometimes you end up at one of those like clubs or restaurants or something and you're like, oh, this, this is, is what people place. are talking about this is the thing people talk about when this they talk about LA. One of the few things uh, that is more enjoyable to me than going to one of those places, like a party or something, and feeling Lydia and I will be like, we definitely don't belong here. But then I'll see like you yeah. or someone to go, <laughs> yeah. hey guys, how's it going? Like you're the fucking lifeline. Yeah, yeah. We all you're the snorkel there. as we are slowly, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's very that's very helpful it's too. It's good to like go to like a ridiculous place like that and have someone be there to be like, "This is so absurd. This place." Is- and the question is like, "Well, why go to those things?" Like, well, because some of them you sort of feel like, "Well, I, you know, I probably should go to this. Yeah. It's part of the business that we're in, and I should go." Yeah. And then. You go and you're like, I don't know. Like, this don't is know. a nightmare. Yeah. And then you'll see like Paul Shear loading up his dessert plate and you're like, all oh, right. Good. Everything's, everything's okay. okay. Everything's all right. <laughs> totally. Go get Paul Shear. That's, that's why it's exactly. important for us to stick together yeah. through, through, the, through the weird process. And I think that's what us comedians also have. And I'm including you in this, Emily. Is like we really like you really have to be aware of yourself all the and time. And have a sense of humor about yourself. You really yeah. have to be able to make fun of yourself and understand that things are, that those places are ridiculous because I think a lot, lot, the trap that people in LA can fall into is taking themselves too seriously. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's because we don't really have, um, there's a lot of stuff that's ego-driven, there's a lot of stuff that's insecurity-driven and the same business that uh, it attracts people who are already a little broken and then it just tries to break them harder if you Hardcore. let it. Yeah. So yeah. you really just have to remember that I mean it's it's there's no real measurement system for what we do. Yeah. So you're constantly trying to build this narrative of like am I doing okay? Am I not doing All okay? All you know is you're never doing enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only like yeah. whatever. And no matter it is. what you're doing, it's like, oh, I sold this many tickets, but it's not this many not tickets. This many oh, tickets. Right. Yeah. Didn't sell out two shows. Fuck. Yeah. You know, when is yeah. it gonna work? And you also your friends keep you honest. Like I I'll say something and Moshe will like make fun of me and I'm like, shit, you're right. I can't say that. Yeah. Jonah's really good at that too. Jonah is nothing gets past Jonah. Nothing gets no, he's past. He's a goalie. Oh my god. He's like a goalie. He's right though. Yeah, he's totally right. Yeah. Well, uh, congratulations on the movie. I'm very excited to see what happens. And also, thank you. And a, hu- and, and, and a particular thanks to Emily for essentially kind of building the Nerdist showroom from scratch. You were the <laughs> what first. What the hell did we do? What I don't a know. Thing? You were the first director of that. <laughs> and for maybe like a year and a half, I think. A year yeah. and a half or so. And it wouldn't have existed without you curating it and cobbling it together and, and making it happen because you were producing the Wednesday night yeah. show with Joan and Kumail. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for you, you're just really good at it. And so <laughs> I know like, that's what I Here, said. Look, you know, it was almost a curse that you're so good at it. But it, it but it 100 percent would not have existed without you. I, well, thank you for saying that. I'm, I'm a definite lover of like uh, like procedures like the most so like i put together all the procedures like well this is how shows should run and this is a and i accidentally got cc'd on an email a little while ago about a show and they were still using the same thing and i was like 
oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. That makes me so happy. But, it just works. But also being very good at all that organizational stuff, you also have a very, very good, you just have very good taste, I think. And I think, I mean, look who you're, who uh-huh. you married. Sure. You have that's where it all comes there back to that. There we go. There yep. we go. But seriously, you're like, you really like get comedy and you really know like what's cool and what's funny and what's fun. And you really like, when you were there for that year and a half, you worked really hard to find like fun stuff to put in I just there. think we didn't expect it to take off as much as it did so it definitely was like such an interesting thing of like you, I remember you being like it'll be like a couple shows a week it's fine and then it was like boom it just like exploded well there was, uh, was there was a really you know like the same way that I talk about that period of Largo and Gypsy Cafe and all that stuff for you know for a lot of people and for us too but even for the people who were just who were inspired to start doing stand up around that mm-hmm. time like that was a real moment too oh, like yeah. that that period and what the Wednesday night meltdown show was for a lot of people that was you know when a show is special or not you can just tell and you can it's very hard to predict what show is going to have that quality but it just did that one had yeah. it yeah. and it was a thing and it was really special and I'm and bummed it's that it's gone and- but I also feel like yeah, but that makes it even more special. It was like, it, you know, it was like its own thing. And that well, was a special period of time. It's cool because when we lived in Chicago, I knew I was very aware of like the cool shows in L.A. and New York. So in New York, it was invite them up. In L.A., it was like Luna or, or eating it or whatever. Yeah. And it's, it was weird to be like, oh, doing our show and being like, I think we're that show now. <laughs> we're the show that people in Chicago. Yeah, because when Comedy Bang Bang stopped. Yeah, and that, that Comedy Death Ray, Comedy Bang Bang, definitely that was one of those shows. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, and then it was the Wednesday night show. And I'm sure, but, but what's fun about that is then that torch will get passed to other, yeah. to something yeah. else. And then, and then, and then a whole new evolution, a whole new group, a whole new, like, that's just sort of the nature what, of. We, what we said when we ended the show is we can't wait to see what's going to make us irrelevant. Like, it's going to be. <laughs> well, right. yeah. it's completely true. I'll look at, like, people who I consider to be in, like, the class below me, like, after me, and I see them doing really well. And I'm like, oh, we're not, like, the cool new young comics anymore they're they're them now and now they're gonna have that group yeah. we're like the established people yeah yeah Gross. you're kind of established now you got a movie coming <laughs> out and then you're on a hit television show Gross. weird Gross. silicon valley are you guys season five's now but then are you gonna go oh, shoot six uh yeah. four is four now, is now you're about yeah, to do five we're about to do five uh we're, we're gonna go back in october so i think we're sort of done promoting this in the middle of july yeah. and i was gonna like i had a couple of like things that I was like it would be fun to like shoot something before but I think we're gonna take some time off because this has been a little more um that's nice to hear and now that we have this on this has definitely been recorded out so I can play it back to you when you say well maybe I'll just do this one movie it's an oral contract though Katie edit this out (laughs) I hope uh uh like overruled yeah (laughs) siren goes by so we have to take this out (laughs) and then also last question I'm gonna ask you is um this is for Kumail uh, do you shit with all your clothes off? I do. I do that sometimes too. Yeah. What is wrong with you guys? I, I don't know. It just feels better that way. I take my wedding ring off. I take my... <laughs> I don't know what it is. I yeah. just feel like it's so much more comfortable that way. I don't feel constricted in any way. I take my so socks strange. off. And I don't want people intimate. to picture it. I don't want... But, but I think you said that one day where you go, yeah, but Kumail shits with all of his clothes off. And I go, oh my God, I do too. Yeah. And you go, what? Yeah. What is... You said the same thing. What is wrong with What's both wrong of you? With you? I take my socks off. <laughs> I, it's completely... I don't want our relationship to be part of this moment. So my wedding rings off. It's I just all. I think that is the grossest thing. Just Why is it gross? I mean, I don't do it in a public restroom. I, 
can't completely no. that's disrobe. Where this whole conversation started because a writer on a show I was working on talked about how he would take his pants off even at work to like go to, to poop. And I'm like, what are you, Winnie the Pooh? What's wrong with you? Like, we're just sitting there like Winnie a the shirt poop. On. Winnie the Poop? It's so gross to think about. But then I said it to Camille and he was like, well, I do. I mean, I take my shirt off and often. My, and I was like, what? It I just take does it not, all off. I fully. want to have a barrier between me and the poo air. Well, but what? it's, it's going to get through your clothes anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's just and you be... still have exposed skin. Your face is That's exposed. True. That's true. Yeah, right. it's going to be on your clothes. I think often it's like I'm wearing more like a complicated clothing and it's hard to take it all uh, off. And, the, and the, one of the things, and, I, you know, and, and it's unfortunate that I didn't know this until after my dad died, but my stepmom, I made some sort of a comment in my stand-up. I was talking about that I'm an uncomfortable shitter in public. Like I get yeah, really sure. nervous in public restrooms yeah. and there's some deep-seated animal thing in there. And so she saw that and she goes, well, you know, your dad used to have to take off all his clothes and he would lock the bathroom door and the bedroom door. Like it's, it, he just needed to be oh, so protected. And I was like, so oh my God, that's, that, that's hereditary. Like oh that gosh. flipped me out so much. because I didn't. Imagine? It's not like he said, son, when you poop, right? you know, shed your, shed the outer no. layers. No, it is interesting that like you Bolt are. Off your... Yeah, you're his son. So whatever, it's the same like neurons or whatever it oh, is. Oh man, that would have been lovely to make that discovery, right? In the movie <laughs> I mean, version know. of I your know. life, I don't know what I would have said to him. They're like me too. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, all your clothes off in there? You know, like I don't know what I would have said That's to him. That's beautiful. Oh yeah, completely, completely, fully, hundred percent. So gross. Yeah. So uh, don't so be uh, don't be afraid to be uh, uh, a skin shitter. Skin shitter. Uh, I don't know what else to call shitter. it. Yeah. Oh, I'm a total I'm gonna. Skin I'll, do, I'll be what it blouses. I'll be that. I'll be shirts. You guys can be skin. I'll take that right. in the team. So you can hashtag this uh, skin shitters if you're a skin yeah. shitter. Let's. Yeah. Uh, we've let's... been silent for too long. Now you know what? Tweet at us and tell us uh, no. what side you're on. No, no. Uh, you can tweet at Chris. And you can tweet just at Kumail. Tweet, just tweet shirts or skins. Yeah, just tweet, just shirts, tweet shirts or skins. Or skin. I don't need to be part of it. It's totally fine, we, you guys. We'll totally know what fine. you mean. Shirts or skins. Because I'll definitely look at your profile pics and then imagine it. And I don't want to do that. So leave yeah, me d- out. Definitely don't imagine it. Yeah, um, okay. Thank you so much for being here. I love you both so much. Oh, I'm so you. happy and proud for you for this movie. And uh, I'm excited too. that people are going to get to see it. So congratulations. Thank you for thank having you. us. When we first were doing the movie, we were like, it's going to be so fun to go and talk about it on Nerdist. I remember having that thought. If he'll have us. Oh, yeah. oh my God, of course. <laughs> I was bummed that I couldn't, you know, we were trying to book you for the talking show for mm-hmm. AMC, but it didn't, the dates that we had available, we didn't have an air date mm-hmm. that was, it, yeah, because they only aired a handful of them and then walk, Fear the Walking Dead came back on I and see. the rest of them are airing in the fall. So uh, this is fun too. We get to hang out. Yeah, we get to, get to hang out. But done. you're always welcome to do anything I'm working on if it works for you or if you, you know. Well, thank Aww, you, Chris. I'm glad me. you liked the movie. Thank, thank you so you. much. Congratulations and uh, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Enjoy your burrito. Enjoy that burrito. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of Nerds Podcast is brought to you by Norton. Do you have internet at your home? If so, what are the chances you have a Wi-Fi router? Probably incredibly high. If you have a Wi-Fi router, then cyber criminals could hack into your home network. Be afraid! Introducing Norton Core, a secure Wi-Fi router for the connected home. Get the security you need and the speed you want with Norton Core. Go to norton.com slash Nerdist to save 30 bucks if you pre-order before July 1st. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity... 
That is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar. Like a liar. And if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal, or you love to hop in the Wayback Machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes, you should tune in to our podcast, Morbid. Follow Morbid on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to episodes early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.